Well, a very happy two day to all of you today. Yeah, all right. Kids in the room. Kids are hanging out with us today. It's also all in Sunday. So on the count of three, I just need a whoop if you're a kid, all right? Adults, you can participate too if you want. One, two, three. All right, good. I, you guys are out there. Caleb, thank you for the scripture reading today. What a perfect uh, scripture for the day that we're going to dive in today. And we are continuing on, actually finishing up with today our Fearless series. But as we do that, uh, I just want to tee up a question for you or a thought. It's kind of more of a rhetorical question um, because I think I know the answer. And that is Have you ever had one of those situations where you're like, that didn't end well? Like, that did not end well. I, this never happens to me, I know, because uh, you guys haven't heard all of those stories. But um, where you have that moment where you're like, man, that did not go as expected, or that didn't end well, or man, I'm in trouble, and uh, I've made a huge mistake, and we've been in those situations. Um, This is a picture of a moment like that for me here just this past week, where I forget how old I am sometimes, and uh, we went out on the back hill back here, and we're going sledding, and I still think I'm a child, apparently, and uh, I was one of the, the few adults that was like, no, I'm getting out there too. We only get so many snows uh, in the year, and so we also decided that it would be a good idea. Obviously, you can't go sledding without a ramp. That's just sort of my, uh, my upbringing is like you got to build the best possible ramp, and so there's this little area on the hill out here that kind of dips down and kind of creates this natural-like air, and so we built our ramp right on the edge of the natural dip because obviously you get more air, and this is the whole point of a ramp, right? And so I got up there, and you know, when you're a kid, you don't have as much weight, which means you don't have as much momentum, but when you're an adult, you can really get going on a sled. And I realized somewhere in the middle of, and I told Sally, this is, uh, this is the Meads kid, Sally, I was like, hey, jump in with me, um, you know, so I can justify sledding down a hill as an adult. You know, I was like, jump in here with me, and so we're going down the hill, and I realized well before we got to the jump, like, we're going a lot faster than I expected. And we're a bit squirrely, so I'm trying to use my feet to steer us. And we hit that, that ramp dead on. And you can kind of see the, the after effect of that. You can see it on our faces, can't you? We were literally like crash dummies in the air and uh, just rolling out of that. And thankfully, she was okay. Nobody was hurt in this particular instance. It actually was not my worst crash of the day, which is funny. You think I would have learned from that one? Uh, but I'm like, okay, I made it through that one. So like, let's try again. And I had Jude with me. And uh, I'm riding down another time. I hit this jump and we got just airborne to the fact where I don't have a picture of this one. But I was standing up straight, like in the air, like flying through the air. And of course, what are you thinking when you have a child with you? You're like, I got to make sure that they don't fall hard. And so you're not thinking all about yourself. I, I grab onto him. I'm in the air, and all this happens so quickly. I set him down as I'm still barreling through the air. And then I took a few steps and, like, rolled, like, four or five times. And I just laying there, and everybody, like, at the top of it, they're not even laughing. They're like, oh, you know, you know it's bad when, like, people aren't laughing at your fall. You know, so, uh, but I'm, I'm, I was a little sore the next day, but I'm doing all right. But we've all had those moments, haven't we, where, like, I think I've made a mistake. And, uh, or I'm in, I'm in deep trouble. Now, sometimes those, that trouble comes as a direct result of our decisions. We call this, and kids, this is good for y'all to be here. We, you've heard your parents say this, right? That's called a consequence, you know, a natural consequence. Or sometimes there's natural consequences to bad decisions. Nobody made that happen. 
you just made a bad decision, all right? And so that's called a natural consequence. Some of us quite naturally and consistently find ourselves in situation with natural consequences. And that's just, if you're that kind of person, you should think about that, okay? Because there's a lot of natural consequences in your life. Sometimes trouble finds us because of someone else's bad decisions um, or decisions that they've caused. And maybe you're in a situation where you're like, man, someone else's bad decisions have caused some trouble for me. Sometimes trouble is simply the result and byproduct of living in a troubled, broken, and sinful world. And those things happen, and we can't make a lot of sense of them. Truth is, most of us don't go looking for trouble, though some of us do. But we have all had these kind of moments where trouble inevitably finds us. As we talk about the story today, today is really one of those versions of trouble that really could have been prevented. It could have been um, avoided completely, but some natural consequences and ultimately God's judgment sort of land on this situation in Joshua. Now, if I was going to pick a text to do on an all-in Sunday, this probably wouldn't be the text, okay? And I was thinking about that as I was kind of going through it, but there are challenging things in Scripture, and there are things that might not be the best Sunday school kind of message, and this might be one of those, and I'm preparing you for that. Uh, however, these are important stories for us to, to try to tackle and grapple with as well, even for our kids to know. And today, really, there's a message behind this story, and that is our decisions have consequences. And let's go beyond that even to say sin is a severe thing. Sin is a difficult thing, and sin is a troubling thing, and it has a way of bringing trouble upon us. And that is the cautionary tale that we're going to tell here in Joshua 7. And so what I thought I would do is, you ever seen one of those movies where you're like, you're watching, like the movie starts with everything breaking loose, and just gets, it just throws you right in the deep end of all, everything breaking loose, right in the climax of the story, and then it works backwards from there, and it goes like 24 hours earlier, and you start seeing how the story progresses. Well, that's how we're going to do this story today, is I'm going to drop you right in at the heat of it, the heart of it, when everything's breaking loose, and then what I want to do is kind of answer the question of, how did we get here? So here we go. Joshua 7, 24 through 26. Last week, Stephen uh, got to teach about the, the, um, the, the, the victory over Jericho, bringing the walls down. What a hype kind of message. Today, it's repent of sin. And so, uh, so, so here we go. Joshua 7, 24 through 26 reads like this. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkey, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Acre. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after that they stoned the rest. They burned them, and over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the valley of Acre ever since. That did not end well. That did not end well. And actually, the word, the, the word acre there literally means the valley of trouble. And so that place is called, so, so Achan literally and figuratively found himself in some deep, deep trouble. And so how did he get there? That's the question that I want to answer today. Um, and this is a side of God that can be tough to grab, grapple with at times. The severity of the scene is tough to look past. And so it's not a story you probably remember in your Sunday school. And we might ask the question, like, how can we reconcile this with the love and compassion of God? And I've wrestled with stories like this myself, and it's okay to kind of feel yourself in the tension of a story like that. 
but we must learn from this. It's in the scripture for a reason. It's a cautionary tale of the severity of sin. And this particular story, again, was the kind of trouble that could have been avoided, which maybe makes it even more somber knowing and understanding this. But the most fearful kind of trouble is to be in trouble with the holy and all-powerful God. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The question I want to answer today is not why. Why such a severe response from God? I don't think the scripture always answers that question. The why question can be really, really tough to answer. And I think there are some possible answers here. But ultimately, this is one of those ones that in some ways you have to get to the point where you're like, I don't know. I'm not God, but I trust him. And I know that he's loving and just, and his holiness is part of his loving nature as well. These are two sides of the same coin, because in order for God to be loving, he must operate in a severe way against the things that destroy the people that he loves. And so I'm not trying to give a simple answer here. That's, not just what, that's just not what the text answers. And so rather than answering the why, I'd like to answer what I believe the scripture does answer, and that is how. How did Achan end up in this situation? Mistakes were made. Several very grave mistakes were made that, by the way, we can find ourselves making, but we can also avoid them, which is really the object lesson here for Israel in all of this. That pile of stones would have been a reminder of the severity of sin and that it can be avoided. Now, we can't completely avoid trouble. There are some things we can do to avoid bringing unnecessary trouble That is the result of sin. And so let's talk about that a little bit today. So we're coming off of a big win at Jericho. The walls come down. Uh, Israel continues to press forward into and toward the promised land uh, in a fearless kind of a way. And the next obstacle was Ai, which was another another town that they would be, um, be arriving at next. And so Joshua sends up spies to scout out Ai, and they come back and they give a positive report. It's basically like this. Hey, we got this. In fact, this is going to be an easy one. We, we only need a fraction of our, uh, of our warriors, of our men to go up. And so they send just a few, and they get absolutely slaughtered. 36 lives are lost for Israel. Joshua's broken. He's upset. He's confused. He doesn't understand why we would just come off of this victory only to be slaughtered in this way. And he goes before God, and he's like, what just happened? You ever been in one of those situations where you're like, I don't get this. I can't understand why this is happening. Like, God, why would you allow this to happen? And this is Joshua's being very open with God about this conversation. But what Joshua didn't realize was that some of the Israelites, in conjunction with a man named Achan, made some really bad decisions. Bad decision number one that led us to this place. Achan rebelled against God's instruction. God was very clear about one thing. You were not to go and take any of the plunder for personal gain. There would have been a lot, as, the, as Jericho came down, there would have been a lot of things that they could have grabbed and, and looted and plundered and taken hold of for their own personal gain. But this was not the purpose of this. And so God was very clear about that. We read in Joshua 7, 1, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of uh, Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And so he wasn't the only one that messed up here. There was a group, but he seems to be the ringleader here, of some that thought that it would be 
okay to take and do the thing that God told them, the very thing that God told them not to do. And Achan maybe thought, because we all do this, right? We think about these things and we're like, I mean, it's from the very first story in Scripture. We see um, Adam justifying and Eve justifying. So, well, God didn't really say. And so we do this kind of thing. If we're honest about our own situations and our own sins, we diminish what it really is. It's not really that big of a deal, right? Nobody will notice. It's not that big of a deal. Listen, this won't hurt anyone. These are God's enemies anyway. Why, why not just, they, they kind of deserve it. We'll just, it's just this once. It's not as bad as what so-and-so did last month, you know? We have this way of naturally minimizing and justifying sin, but we can't do that. We cannot minimize sin. I believe that the enemy uses this kind of minimizing and justifying of sin to keep us stuck. I mean, this is the goal, to keep us stuck, to keep us heading toward trouble. So we must stop reducing sin. Jonathan Edwards reminds us that the smallest sin is an act of cosmic treason against the holy God. John Stott says, sin not only alienates, it enslaves, it separates us from God, and it also brings us into captivity. We need now to consider the inwardness of sin. It is more than the wrong things we do. It is a deep-seated inner sickness. In fact, the sins we commit are merely the external invisible indications of this internal and invisible illness, the symptoms of a moral disease. The image Jesus used is that of a tree and its fruit, the kind of fruit a tree bears, he said, whether figs or grapes, for example, and their condition, whether good or bad, depend on the nature and health of the tree itself. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Titus tells, um, Paul tells Titus in, in uh, Titus 2, 12 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So this word here, renounce, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. This is a strong word. As Paul writes to Titus, self-control means we must renounce ungodliness. The word renounce here is a severe word, the same word that Jesus uses when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny, renounce himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if we want to steer clear of the trap in trouble of sin, we must stop reducing sin in our lives and start renouncing it. And so we have to stand strong. And by the way, uh, it could be easy to spot sin in other people's lives, right? Especially when people sin differently than us. But we have to do a better job of thinking about ourselves and looking in the mirror and not reducing the things that are wrong, but renouncing them. So that was his first bad decision. The second bad decision was this. Achan failed to consider the consequences of his sin. 36 people were killed as a direct result of his decisions. And so Joshua falls on his face. He doesn't understand what's going on. At this point, he has no idea what had happened back at Jericho when they took the plunder. And so he's arguing with God. He doesn't understand. And here's what the Lord says to Joshua. He says, stand up. It's kind of like a man up kind of moment. Like, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they have made liable, they have, sorry, they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. God's like, listen, I'm not going to put up with the evil. Evil will not be perpetuated. And so he calls out Joshua, he calls by association out the entire nation of Israel. You notice he says, Israel has sinned. And so what Achan doesn't consider is that his sin has infected the whole nation. There's sin in that camp. And because of that, they can't prevail. They can't move forward. They can't live fearless in the way God wants them to live fearless. Notice the verbiage here. Israel has sinned. Notice all the they's in there. They did this. They did that. They did this. And because of that, they will experience the consequence of that. So Achan makes a big mistake, but others are complicit. There's no way his family was not aware of it. They helped lie. They helped cover it up. They helped hide. So one sin perpetuates to another sin, which perpetuates to another sin, which ultimately creates all kinds of consequences. And Achan failed to take a step back and see all of the consequences. You remember kind of in, I learned a lot of new words like during COVID, and one of them was, this, this idea of are not. You ever heard of that word before? You probably didn't up until COVID, but then you started to learn about what are not was. And this was essentially that it shows the average number of people that one infected person can pass the illness to. So we're seeing like how infectious is this disease with like the are not. This is an interesting concept. And what we're told here is that the are not value of sin is really tough to quantify. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that it is an isolated thing that when we sin. It affects our families. It affects our churches. When we have sin in our camp, we can't always know exactly how or it's tough to trace that. And it's also tough to say, well, this caused this. We don't always know that. But we know that sin has a way of infecting everything around it. Jerry Bridges says this, that sin is a spiritual and moral malignancy. Left unchecked, it can spread throughout our entire inner being and contaminate every area of our lives. Even worse, it will metastasize from us into the lives of other believers around us. There's a scripture that says, where Paul's calling out the Corinthians, he's saying, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's using this bread analogy to say, listen, you get a little leaven in here, it's infecting the whole batch of dough, and he makes this comparison to say, this is what it looks like when there's sin in the church. It has a way of spreading to those around them, and this is one of the reasons why it's important that we respond in a way that shows severity towards sin. Being in my role, one of the least favorite things is seeing how hard and seeing firsthand how sin ravages families and getting to hear those stories and getting to see that play out. Things like anger, pride, dishonesty, greed, selfishness, they're like weeds in a garden. They grow quite quickly and can become much larger things. Uncontested sin spreads. It impacts families, churches, and societies. So not only do we have to resist sin and renounce it, but the Bible tells us to go further. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. We have to respond in a different kind of a way. It's not just about what we're against. It's about what we're for. It's about how we step forward in a way that is different. 
that we counter sin by operating, counter and conquer evil by doing good. Mistake number three, bad decision number three for Achan was this. Achan repeatedly failed to examine his heart. So after, God, or after Joshua falls on his face, he's upset before God, God tells him what had happened. Here's the instruction that he gives to Joshua. He says, go consecrate the people, purify them. Tell them, consecrate yourselves, purify yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. And so now Joshua reports this back to the Israelites. We haven't named any names yet, but he's giving them an opportunity to come clean. He's giving them an opportunity to purify themselves, to address their own hearts, and perhaps allow someone to come forward. And so this was Achan's chance to come clean, but he didn't. And he had that opportunity. He had that opportunity repeatedly. So... (laughs) Man, it's been, a, it's been kind of intense. I'll give you a good story here for just a minute, a, kind of a funny story. So I preached a whole message uh, with my zipper down uh, a few weeks ago, so I can scrape that off my bucket list. Like, I don't know if anybody realized that, but, like, I'm, like, up here. I'm preaching my heart out, and I come down off the stage, and I'm standing over here in the front uh, row, and one of my buddies comes up to me. He puts his arm around me. He just says, hey, uh, X, Y, Z, I think. Now, if you don't know what that means, it means X, Y, Z, examine your zipper. And uh, it's, a new, it's a new learning for me, but I'm like, I'm like, oh, man. Like, so I'm like, yep, sure enough, you know. So it's kind of that awkward moment where you got to be like, okay, like real quick, like address it. Because I had to get back up here and give announcements. And I'm like, uh, kind of like, well, the damage is done kind of thing, right? Uh, mistakes were made. You know, it's funny because like this is like every communicator's like greatest fear. So... So here I am, facing my fears in 2023, you know, trying to live fearless. Um, my excuse was I'm just running around so much on Sunday, like, it just slipped my mind. And Jess is like, if you don't even have time to do that, like, that is a problem, right? Like, if you can't even take time to, like, look in the mirror before you come out of the bathroom and make sure you're good to go, you know. So lesson learned, you know. Um, you know, now I'm uh, – it was Jeff Hudipal, too, that came up and was just like, brother, like, you know, just like, how loving, like, because, like, that's a tough conversation, like, but he came up and he, he just said, hey, X, Y, Z, you know, this is like so, so good, but now I'm like Santa Claus, I'm checking it twice, you know, like, I'm, I'm not, it's not happening again, you know, if it does, I, I apologize, like, I'm just absent-minded, apparently, um, so I have a new one for you, X, Y, Z is a good one, you should love somebody enough to tell them that, right, or if they have something coming out of their nose, or whatever it is. That's what a loving friend does. Here's one for you. How about X, Y, H? Examine your heart. Examine your heart daily. And so I'm asking you the question, have you X, Y, H'd lately? And I think that because there's, you know, there's kind of this thing today where we feel like, you know, like it's kind of like a don't judge me kind of thing, right? And I think that's absolutely right. I, I have no place to somebody that's outside of the church, that's not living under the authority of Christ, I'm not going to show up to them and give them an X, Y, H kind of conversation, right? Because I just want them to receive Jesus, let him do his thing with them. But the Bible is very clear that we should do that for one another. We should love one another enough to put an arm around somebody and be like, hey, you examined your heart lately? Or to notice things about people and to love them enough to say tough things. You know, we think that loving someone is just avoiding those tough conversations, but 
It's really not. Like, what if we just put an arm around somebody and say, hey, I've I'm, I'm noticed you've been isolating a lot lately. You haven't really been around. Have you XYH in a while? Or, hey, you, be, you seem to be hitting the retail therapy pretty hard lately. You know, I've noticed a lot of new swag. You know, like, have you XYH in a while? Or, hey, you seem to be working, like, a lot. You, have you XYH in a while? You seem to be pretty stressed. Or, hey, how's your thought life, brother? You checked your heart in a while? I can still see that you're filled with worry. Maybe it's time to take a step back and do a little XYH. Listen, we have to do that consistently. Sin contaminates all of us in a way that you're usually not aware of until it gets really, really bad. Why do we have to get to that point? Consecrate yourself. Consecrate means to purify ourselves, and it begins in the heart. Listen, Achan didn't become a liar overnight. He might have had those tendencies, but he didn't just set out to become a thief overnight. He didn't just start despising God and what God said overnight. One decision at a time. One time of not examining his heart after another time, after another time, after another time. He failed to XYH. We have to keep our heart tender and malleable. Hebrews 3.15 says, remember what it says today when you hear his voice, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. In other words, I need to keep my heart soft and malleable. I need to, to see God's conviction in my life as something that brings freedom, not as something that's meant to bind me or enslave me. God's saying, listen, you can live and submit to me, surrender as we just sung. You can surrender to me or sin is going to bring you to your knees one way or another. It's out of love that God calls us back to himself. And so Achan repeatedly let his heart become hardened, which made mistake number four pretty natural. Achan failed to take genuine ownership of his sin. God gives this guy in his household every chance to come clean. I mean, anybody from that house that was aware of it could have come forward and been like, hey, I know where the stuff is, you know, and I was a part of it, and I'm sorry, but they didn't. And the truth about God is that he is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. This is the last thing that he wanted to happen. But at some point, his goodness will contest evil one way or another. So Joshua finally said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And so now he's caught. It's kind of like, all right, you got me. And so he shares. He says, I've sinned. This is what I've done. Here's where you'll find it. They go. They find it. And I don't know, I can't, I can't fully evaluate without more context, like, the, his confession and what he had kind of said at that point. But it seems like it's a little bit too little too late. And we could maybe ask the question, did he really confess because his heart had changed or did he confess because he got caught? And there's a difference. What seemed to follow seemed to suggest that his apology wasn't quite genuine or just a little bit too little too late. And those of you that know kid, you have kids, you know the difference, right? When somebody's actually sorry, you know, and when they're real young, they're really not sorry about much, you know, like, I'm going to knock that over, like, you know, how many times have I heard where, like, um, I'll walk into a room and something will be broken, I'm like, what happened in there? That's interesting. Like, no, not even trying to cover it up, like, something smashed, and I'm like, who did this? And you'd be like, uh, I broke mommy's thing. Oh, sorry, daddy, you know, he's going to break something a little bit later, but, like, you know, we sort of learn remorse, hopefully, over time. But here's the thing about sin. When you let sin go, it only grows. 
God DeCain one time said this. He said uh, he had these seeds of anger and jealousy that were growing in him. And in Genesis 4, 7, God says this to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, sorry, yeah, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And if you know that story, he didn't rule over it. It eventually rules over him, and he kills his brother. And that's the story of sin. You rule over it, or it will rule over you. You allow God to rule over you so that you can rule over sin. Otherwise, sin will rule over you. If you've been watching these playoff games, which is really fun, by the way, to like actually have a team to watch in the playoffs. You know, the last couple of years, like, this is actually fun. And so I'm watching, enjoying more of these playoff games. And I've noticed something. I've always enjoyed this about sports, but you can see it a lot in football. But you see somebody that's like running down the field, especially like if they're guarding a defensive guy's guarding an offensive guy. They're running down the field and they're mixing it up. And there's a like a there's kind of a gray area where you let some of that happen, and then the flag comes out sometimes, right? But it's interesting to me that almost every time the guy's innocent. How do I know he's innocent? Because he's like, no, like I, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Like, uh, let me take your word for it. Like he, he didn't. You see, he said he didn't do it. You know, so he must not have. Well. You look more guilty than ever when you do that, right? And what is it about our human, and I'm not saying that he should just confess, like, uh, hey, uh, sir, <laughs> you get that flag out, like, I, uh, I, I totally took that guy down. And by the way, I think we got by with one with that old Hubbard thing, because that very thing happened when one of our guys sort of tripped up or, you know, maybe a block in the back, I'm not saying it, you know, like, but, but he goes like this, right? He's like, no, no, I'm innocent, you know? Nothing tells me you're guilty more than this innocent posture, right? Like, we just know, like something. But we do this. We intuitively do this. We kind of put our hands up, and we do this. We, we blame shift, right? It's somebody else's fault. This is somebody else's fault, obviously, right? Like, it wasn't me. It was his fault. He ran into me. Like, my, my, he made his face mask went into my hand. Like, I, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it, right? We ignore. We justify. We hide. We do this toward God. And the interesting thing is, God already knows. It's so ridiculous, but we do it over and over again. God, I didn't. And meanwhile, we let sin go and sin grows, and consequences are compounded. So we have to change that posture, this posture, to a posture that's just humble, that just gets down before God and says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've blown it. And in a genuine way, say, God, I don't deserve your favor. I don't deserve your love. But please, God, would you just have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's a different kind of a posture. And we can say that it certainly doesn't seem like Achan ever did that. And what we see that, then is God calling us to bow down, to own it, to demonstrate that, hey, we have to acknowledge our sin if we want to kill it. After Achan's punished, God's anger subsides. And here's what I want to tell you. There is nothing God wants more than to bring about your redemption. There is nothing, and Stephen talked about this last week. God does not want anything more than you than to rescue you from sin, to bring about your redemption. But the only route to redemption is through repentance. Genuine repentance. We've got to get to that place. We've got to come to the end of ourselves and say, look, God, I want your healing. I want your wholeness. I want to live fearless from here on out. But we've got to fall at God's feet. 
in a way that's genuine and honest. And for some of us, we just need to keep doing that. Keep confessing to God. Keep It's part of my regular time with God. It's just like, because I blow it every day. So I'm just like, hey, God, here's some more stuff today. You know, I'm going to try to be better. And we keep working at it. But the route to redemption is through repentance. And actually, the story from here goes in a very positive direction for Israel. The Lord then says to Joshua, don't be afraid. Remember that from the very beginning. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I've delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And God continues to unfold his plan of redemption. He honors his promise. He gives them bountiful land, countless victory. But it comes through repentance. And so today, as we conclude today, I want you to continue to be able to live fearless. I want you to continue to be able to uh, walk with God in a way that, that brings life and wholeness and I'm excited because we're heading into a whole new series about that uh, coming up, but we have to do this first. Two turns. Number turn, number one, turn away from sin. Whatever that looks like for you, turn away from sin because God never turns away anyone who turns to him. So how does this all connect to living fearless? In 1 John 4.18, it says this, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So here's the bottom line. Here's what I really want to leave you with. Those who live in God's love have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be afraid of. God's perfect love is able to drive out fear. It's able to secure all that God has promised for you. So we got to stop living in defiance. Start practicing reliance on God. God, we pray to you now. We come to you. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Even though we can't always understand, God, when we find ourselves in the middle of consequences, and obviously not all of our consequences are a direct result of something that we've done, God, but help us to our lives with greater clarity, God, and be introspective, Not in a way, God, where we just find ourselves paralyzed by guilt, God, but when we bring things before you, God, you tell us what you're going to do, and that's receive us with open arms, receive us with grace, receive us with mercy, God. So don't let us needlessly live underneath the weight of our guilt anymore, God. Don't let us melt in fear, God, but rather help us to turn from our sin and turn to you, a God who waits us with open arms. We love you. We thank you so much, God, for never leaving us, never forsaking us. We pray for great victories, God. We pray that whatever we're facing right now, God, that you would help us to continue to walk forward and step forward into a fearless future, into your version of our future, God, the best version of our future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.